This morning, we begin a brand new, fresh series. Uh, if you pull out your note, out, note outline entitled, Altars, Incidents in Which uh, People Built an Altar in the Bible. Uh, it's going to be kind of an interesting series. We've got a five-part. This is round one of a scheduled five-rounder. Uh, let me begin this morning by defining a little bit what an altar is. I mean, we all have this sort of an idea of what an altar is. You can see a picture of it there. But it actually, it's, um, uh, there's three different words uh, that we can see from which we get our word altar. If you can have the next screen, please. An altar in, the, in Latin, the word is altus, which means high. Uh, what word do we get in the English language from the Latin word? Altitude, high. An altar was a raised structure, a high structure. Sometimes in the Bible it's referred to as the high places. In the Bible they'll talk about, and Josiah removed the high places. Those were pagan altars. I'll reference those again in a few minutes. Um, but it's a raised structure, as you can see in the picture, where some sort of offering were, was made. Secondly, next screen, it, in the Greek, the word bamas, to approach, which gives us an indi- indication that an altar was also a place where, where you would meet with God, where you would encounter the Lord. It was sort of a place, just like we have a place here. We refer to these as kneeling altars where you would approach, come, kneel, and you would have an encounter with the Lord. I mean, we still sort of use that terminology from the Greek. Finally, the Hebrew, thuo, to sacrifice. Typically, an altar was a place where sacrifices were offered, Uh, particularly animals, but it could be grain sacrifices, And so people in the Bible would often set up altars to commemorate moments in their lives, some defining act. And in other words, it could be an altar of forgiveness. It could be a place of newness. It It could be a place of worship or of intercession. There will be altars of dedication or altars of commitment. And so you see biblical figures throughout the Old Testament building these altars and having some sort of of experience and worship and encounter with the Lord in which some sort of decision was made. And we're going to kind of look at those this morning. Interestingly, even pagan religions have altars. Isn't that odd? It's just not simply a Christian or a Jewish practice. In fact, even in the Bible, you will find pagan altars that we'll talk about. Remember when Baal, uh, uh, I mean, um, when Elijah uh, had, had the famous encounter with the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel. Those of you who are heading to Israel with us in a few weeks, we will be on Mount Carmel up in the Galilee at the Jezreel Valley. It's this mountain, and, and, and up there is this wonderful statue of, uh, of Elijah commemorating that moment where they had this altar and the prophets of Baal they had an altar also. Remember, they brought this wood, and they just started jumping around and crying out and trying to get their god, Baal, to come down. It talks about, uh, in fact, let me read this. You may want to um, jot this in your margin. First uh, Kings 11.7 says, and this shows you how far Solomon had drifted from the Lord. On a hill, 
east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place, an altar, for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Okay, so they've got altars to Baal, altars to Asherim, to Chemosh. Nearly every time Moloch, he's always referred to as the detestable god of the Ammonites. They did child sacrifice on these altars. It says they would offer their children to Moloch in the fire. That would happen on an altar like this. And so we see not only pagans, but God's people doing altars. My, I guess my question is, why would pagans do this kind of thing? Why would a pagan build an altar? Because even in the heart of a pagan, in the heart of all people, the Bible says God has put eternity in their hearts. Every single person has this desire to worship. And if you're not worshiping the Lord God Jehovah, if you're not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, you will worship something else. You will have a substitute God. And you will build an altar, so to speak, to whatever God you choose to worship. And so some people's altars are their boats, and some people's altars are their homes or their jobs, where you literally will sacrifice to that God that you worship. And so our desire is that we, we, you know, we don't have an altar we go to now as much as we have an altar in our hearts, don't we? Where we worship the Lord and where we encounter the Lord. The kingdom of God is within us and where we, we seek him and, and seek his face. Well, what can we learn from some of these altar experiences? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the altar of Noah. I want you to notice that I've printed the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Genesis chapter 8, you follow along as I read the biblical text. By the first day, would you circle the word first? By the first day of the first month, would you circle the word first there? Of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark. First time the word come is used in the scriptures. You and your wife and your sons, isn't it interesting, the very beginning, after devastation, destruction, and after God's judgment, the invitation to come to him. Your wife and your, their, your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons. By the way, how many sons did Noah have? Three. And their wives. So now you've got six. Noah and his wife, so you got eight people on the ark. With me? All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark one kind after another. Verse 20, then Noah built what? An altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, 
he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And then God blessed Noah and his sons. Are you aware of the fact this is the very first altar mentioned in the Bible? Now, this wasn't the first sacrifice. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices, but no mention is made of altars in that situation. And so there's a law that in, in, the, in the study of biblical interpretation is called hermeneutics. There's a law in hermeneutics, how to interpret and study the Bible, that's called the law of first usage. Anytime an event or a word, like the word come, anytime an event occurs for the very first time, it has special significance. So we're going to begin here at the very first altar that was built and discover, what can we learn from this? Well, what can we, what can we, truths, we're going to drill down and discover some some truths and just some fresh insights concerning this first altar. Now, I had you circle uh, the adjective first because it's mentioned several times. This is not only the first altar, but it was the first month, the first day of the month, and the first thing he does is build an altar. And it's almost as if the Lord is saying, you know what, in your commitment to me, in your decision to follow me, there needs to be a firstness about it. You need to put me first. You need to make sure I'm first. From your priorities, there needs to be a firstness in terms of your, of your decision to follow me and be committed to me. Notice it says, Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Why would he do that? By the way, he did this before he even built a house. Why? Why would he do that? What would possess Noah? They're all excited. They're getting ready with the animals. and They're getting ready to de-ark, whatever it's called, when you leave an ark. And, and as soon as they go, go down the plank and they, and they set foot on terra firma, I'm going to build an altar. Why would he do that? Why would they say, yeah, let's gather firewood and figure out how we're going to build a fire? Let's build a house. Let's kind of get organized here. Let's, we're going to build an altar first. Why? And what was the purpose of that altar? The Bible says it was he burned burnt offerings on it. Well, I would like to suggest to you that, that was, it was an act of total consecration. It was an act of dedication. As a matter of fact, look at the next insight here. As, Noah, as God led Noah into this new beginning, Noah's first action was to dedicate himself wholly to the Lord. Notice it says burnt offerings. Now, in the book of Leviticus, which will come later, a burnt offering wasn't for forgiveness of sin. A burnt offering was not necessarily an act of worship. What burnt offerings were were a dedication of your complete self. 
a commitment, a, a new and fresh commitment unto the Lord. That's what a burnt offering would represent throughout the Old Testament. And so I believe that what he's doing here is that he comes off the ark, builds this altar, and says the first thing we're going to do is to give ourselves wholly as a firstness unto the Lord. Why would he do that? Why would he be motivated to do that first? Now, most people think when Noah and his family stepped off the ark, it looked like this. When you see it in uh, cartoons, it shows them coming down and smiling in a rainbow, and it shows that animals are smiling, everybody's happy. This is, and you can see, it's just like Eden again. May I suggest to you that it was nothing like that. It would have looked like this. Utter devastation. Do you have any idea how long Noah and his family would have been on the ark? Answer, one year. Complete destruction. Salt water would have preserved bodies. You have got bodies lying over everywhere, decomposing because it's now dry land. Maggots. I mean, when Noah and his family stepped off, this is the world they would have encountered. Does that give you any clarity as to why he would build an altar? He had experienced and seen the utter devastation, destruction of sin, God's judgment. And as they were floating in that ark for a year, no one in his family would have recognized, you want to know something? We're no better than those people. He was a sinner. And by the way, if you know his story in a few verses, you're going to see what kind of sinner he was. He gets drunk. There's some sexual indications of nakedness and other things that the Bible is very discreet about. He knows what's in his heart. And so it'd be interesting to know the conversations that they were having on the ark. I'm glad we're not like those people Those people were really bad. They were sinful. I'm glad we were saved because we're the good guys. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. I think when they stepped off, Noah had this recognition that could have been me. That could have been me. And the only reason it wasn't was because of what? grace because of God's grace and I think that his motivation to build this altar was this understanding aside from the grace of God there goes me and in the midst of this horribleness 
He said, you know what, folks? First thing we're doing, we're gonna give ourselves to the Lord because of his grace. And I have no idea where you are this morning and what new beginning. I've got a hunch that maybe you're turning some sort of corner and that you in your life, your family, your job, your health, that you're stepping into some sort of new experience. And I think what the Lord is saying to us, you need to dedicate yourself back to the Lord. You need to make this fresh commitment in light of his grace that all I have and all I am isn't because I'm such a nice guy. God, it's because of your grace. Because I know what I deserve. And I am no better than those people who are outside of the ark whose bodies I see deteriorating right now. Number two, stepping into this new beginning or wherever you might be in your own Christian walk with the Lord, I think one of the things I th- we see in this, in this first altar experience is uh, when you walk with the Lord, I think the first thing you do is commit yourself afresh to him. You need to understand it's going to involve sacrifice as well as faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Noah sacrifices animals on this newly built altar. Remember, he has a limited amount of animals. Reminds me of the old joke when Noah's sons come to him and ask their dad if they can go fishing. And Noah's response was, of course, just go easy on the worms. We only have two. Limited amount of animals. So when he steps off the ark, we're going to build an altar. Yeah, what are we going to put on it? Sticks? Yeah. Fire? Yeah. But we're going to put on it animals. That's a bad idea, Dad. Why do you say that? We don't have that many. Notice Genesis 7-2. Take with you seven. By the way, did you know that it it wasn't simply two by two? coming on the ark. Some animals, there were seven. It says seven kind of, every kind of clean animal, male and its mate, and two of unclean animals. Now I want you to jot in your margin, what's a clean and an unclean animal? These would be the clean animals, jot them in your margin. Cattle, and by the way, the Bible gives criteria, whether you chew the cud and clove and hoof. These are the clean animals, cattle, Deer, goats, sheep, chickens, ducks, doves. Let me give you the list again. Cattle, deer, goats, sheep, chickens, ducks, doves. By the way, you read that clean and unclean animals. Where do we get that idea of the definition? What's what's clean and what's unclean? Where do you find that? Leviticus 11. New insight. Leviticus hasn't been written yet. How did Noah know what's clean and what's unclean? Levitical law has not been given. Answer, God must have told him. 
God must have said, there's going to be a delineation. One day I'm going to write it down. I haven't got around to it yet, Noah. But one day there's going to be a delineation between clean and unclean. And he sacrifices on the altar clean animals. Why would that be a sacrifice in more ways than one? Because the list that you're looking at are the domesticated animals. The animals you'd eat. They ate doves, cattle, goats, sheep, chickens, venison. That's not a good, that's not a good idea, Dad. Well, what's your idea? Why don't you put a rat up there? Let's sacrifice rats. No, I'm not doing that. Why not? Because in the words of King David, who will come later, boys, I will not sacrifice unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. You see, what he's doing, Noah understood. Sacrifice, by definition, will cost you something. So when he sacrifices these clean animals, it came as a price. He didn't have that many. It's kind of like, uh, Dad, you, you just shortened our inventory of the good animals. I understand that. What are we going to do now, Dad? We're going to trust God for that. And that's where faith came in. See, so I think in the, in the walk of faith, what the Lord asks of is, it is going to require sacrifice. And by the way, typically, it says we are now living sacrifices. Sacrifice hurts. Romans 12. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Characteristics of living sacrifices. A, it will hurt. B, living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar. That's why I need to continue to dedicate myself to him as a firstness regularly. And it's an act of faith. Noah had to trust God. Yeah, dang on, I'm, 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 I'm burning up deer and doves and cattle here. I don't have that many. See, go easy on the worms. We only have two. And so it was an act of, of, of sacrifice. It was an act of faith. And the same thing is true for us. This walk with the Lord. And by the way, this, and I, I mentioned this up in Mancelona. So often we oversell this thing. And I told, people, I told young people there. We had 50 people at the altar two nights ago. And this is what I told him. I am not calling you, God is not calling you to an easy life when you commit your life to Jesus. I, let me tell you what he's calling you to. He is calling you to a life of suffering and sacrifice. Let's see how that sells on the internet. He is asking you to follow him and suffer. This is not going to be easy. And this is what's happened often in modern-day evangelicalism. They've overpromised. They've said, you give your heart to Jesus, you get a free ticket to heaven, dude. Not only that, but you've got abundant life. Everything's wonderful. God's going to take And by the way, those things are true. But you better let them know the downside. Because what the downside is going to happen in a person's life. And there's an awful lot of people walking away from the Lord, and the reason is they were disillusioned because it was oversold. And they never told them that when you walk this walk of faith, it will include self-denial. How often do you hear that anymore? 
you will have to deny yourself. And it will be a life of suffering and sacrifice. Now who wants to sign up? See? But I tell you what, in the Muslim world, they're getting them. Follow Allah, and guess what? You get to put on a a, a suicide vest, and they got more than what they can handle. Because they understand, I want to be called to something of significance, something that's greater than me. And I think the call of Jesus certainly beats the call of Allah. It is greater than that. Now, it's not easy, and people need to be told. It is not easy. It's going to be hard. Swimming upstream against the culture is hard. But that's what it's required, and the Lord will help. Life is hard anyway. It's not that I'm going to choose the easy life rather than the hard. It's going to be hard no matter what you do, so I'd rather choose the hard option where at least the Lord's helping me. See? And finally, in a new beginning, God honored Noah's actions and his heart by blessing Noah and his family. Once again, look at verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I I have done. They will all be destroyed one day when the bowls and the trumpets and All that stuff happens in the book of Revelation, but not in the same way as I have done, he said. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, so on and so forth, verse 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons. Question, something I want you to see from this text. The blessing of God upon Noah was not because Noah was a perfect person. God did not bless Noah because, you know what, Noah? You're a good guy. You're the good guy. You are a righteous man, Noah. That is not the reason the blessing came. I want you to notice what the text says. Never again will I curse the ground because of man. Watch. Underline this. Even though... Even though every inclination of his heart is evil. Once again, beloved, this is grace. Even though God says, I'm going to put my blessing upon Noah, even though I know what Noah's going to do in another day or two. I'm going to put my blessing upon Noah and his sons and his daughters along his wife, even though I know every inclination of their heart is evil. I tell you what. We serve a God of grace. I'm an even though. I'm awful. I'm awful. Judy and I talk regularly. You know what? We're just just two really selfish people. I'm a selfish person. And I married a selfish person. See? I mean, we're terrible. Because I know every evil in my heart. And don't look so smug. You're the same way. Even though every inclination, God says, I am still willing to put my blessing upon people's lives. And what made the difference? 
He believed God. And God says, you know what? My grace will cover you even though. And so I, want, I just want you to know, God is not asking you to be a perfect person because you and I both know we're not. God is asking you to just simply do, to, to do what he asks you to do, to be a person of faith, to trust him at his word, to dedicate your heart and life, as it says in the first insight, to dedicate yourself as a firstness to him, realizing it's going to be hard, there's going to be sacrifice, but I'm going to trust him by faith. And you know what? He will bless me because of his grace. Is that good news? Absolutely. It's wonderful news. I can't think of any better news. Let's bow our heads this morning and pray. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. You know what? I should have been drowned in the flood. I'm an evil person. And Noah, Lord, and his wife and his kids, they understood that. And when they stepped out and saw the devastation and destruction of humanity, they were gripped with this idea of the grace of God that preserved them. And so, Lord, this morning, each one of us in the altar of our hearts, thank you for the ultimate altar of Calvary, where the ultimate sacrifice happened on a high place. And Lord, because of Christ's sacrifice, I'm saved. As I believe in him and trust him, I'm saved. I am declared righteous in his eyes even though I'm not. And so, Lord, this morning, and beloved, I'm going to just give you a few moments right in your seat, a few moments of quietness to say, Lord, as an act of firstness here on the first day of the week, I give myself to you again. Would you do that? I don't do this, Lord, making promises knowing that I'm an evil person. I do this because of your grace, that you've promised to bless those who trust you by faith, imperfect as we are. And Lord, so this morning, we drive a stake in the ground again and say in this new day, may we live for you by faith. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we conclude our service today. My apologies, I didn't give you your full money's worth. You're getting out at 1115. And you're thinking to yourself, no, that's an act of grace. <laughs> and now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit be yours both now and throughout this week. May his blessing of grace rest upon you. And also to me, amen. Go in peace.